Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Prospect Podcast. I'm Tom Clark and this week we're going to be talking to the disability expert Tom Shakespeare about the history of representation in cinema and why, although we've made progress on disability rights, we've still got a long way to go. You can read Tom Shakespeare's essay in this month's issue of Prospect magazine. First though, I'm joined in the studio by our own arts and books editor Samir Rahim who works with Tom on this piece. First of all then Samir just tell us how that piece that Tom Shakespeare piece came about. Well earlier this year the BFI the British Film Institute launched online a series of films called um, Disabled Britain on Film Um, and this was one of a series they've also previously done Asian Britain on Film and Jewish Britain on Film and those previous two ones I found really fascinating because what they do is they give little Uh, snippets, short documentaries that the BBC have done or ITV have done um, and they're little um, ways of looking into a sort of forgotten world Uh, and they also sort of track the way that certain groups of people have been represented. So mirror back at the whole of society then, isn't it? Not just the group that you're talking about. Exactly, yes. And you might think with something particularly as like sort of disabled representation that it would be... um, the older films would be uh, you know, excruciating to watch and, uh, and the newer ones would be a lot better. And to some extent that that is true. But there were also some surprising elements in them. There was one film about, um, I think it's called The Smallest Woman in Britain. She's just 29 inches tall. And it's just about her going to the shops. The way she drives a car is quite amazing. It's just a six or seven minute long film. And I thought that a person who would really be able to write about this world was Tom Shakespeare, who has written a lot about disability studies, has appeared in at least two films, I think, um, uh, himself talking about um, his own disability. Um, and so uh, I, threw him, I threw him the challenge of that and uh, he came up with a brilliant piece. Um, so let's leave the conversation about film to him, but like, a man like you, Samir, with a broad cultural sweep. What happens if we could go back even further? Disability is as old as humanity, I guess. Um, like, was there a time where we've ever got it right? Well, mostly no, in the sense that uh, disabled people or people with deformities have generally been regarded as uh, uh, evil or people who have um, uh, this sort of spiritual injury is somehow represented by their uh, physical 
uh, problems. One thinks of you know Richard III's crook back being a sort of represent representation of his um, evil nature. Um, well, it's more complicated in Shakespeare, I suppose, because he talks about how um, maybe the fact that people treat him so badly is why he turns out so badly. I think Velasquez does a wonderful job. Um, his portrait of people who who would have been called dwarves around the uh, Spanish court in the 17th century are masterpieces of, of humanity, really. He manages to have these characters get a real sense of their their power as people, the fact that they were self-contained, defiant almost in the way that he you view them. A few years ago, there was a Velasquez exhibition at the National Gallery, and a friend of mine went there, and, and he said that as he was looking at these paintings of these uh, uh, restricted growth people, as we call them now, um, a group of restricted growth people came in to the gallery and were there on a sort of tour of them. So you could see people uh, looking at the way in which they had been represented over the ages, and it was quite a, a moving moment. And are they just people on their own, as it were, or are they are they doing things in these in these pictures? Are they portraits, as they would do of a of a prince or, or a king? But these are people who are um, sometimes they're you know with a dog, or they're just one of the famous one is a one with I think with a moustache, just sitting down straight at straight towards you, and somehow sitting down. Um, and with the perspective very close up, uh, the idea of the person's height becomes less relevant. And in fact, you have to look quite closely to realise that the person um, does have restricted growth. That's interesting. So like, it sounds like people have always found, non-disabled people have always found humanity in disabled people and disabilities have always cropped up um, you know, with some randomness across society. So all people, powerful and non-powerful, would be exposed um, to them and, and that might challenge preconceptions but when we think about the politics of it now and certainly when you look at the online side of things it doesn't get the traction of the huge arguments that go on all the time about racism different strands of feminism stroke sexism or particularly trans you know an issue that until quite recently would have been seen as quite niche but now makes a lot of noise um on the internet but disability it should be getting more you know but there's more old people which means there's more people carrying around health problems there's more diagnosis of mental disability um it doesn't seem to play into the culture wars in anything like the same way does it is that maybe because it's uh, people are more nervous and, uh, and wary of it um i wonder um people could become disabled at any point any one of us um, who aren't disabled, and so it doesn't necessarily lead to an entrenched sense of identity in the, in in the same way, or or perhaps it's because it's so obvious and so really uncontroversial to say that disabled people are at a disadvantage as compared to the rest of us, and and that in a way we need to change the way that our buildings are designed, we need to change the way our transport are designed to accommodate them. Mm. And finally, it's probably just worth a quick thought, isn't it, compared to the other movements of emancipation that we've seen, you think of gay rights and race relations laws and so on. Telling someone to take down the sticker in the window saying no blacks, no dogs, no Irish has had to happen in Britain in the 1960s. Um, if you've got old buildings, old rolling stock, um, you need pavements that are different. It's a much more proactive 
ask in a way, isn't it? Even if it's a less controversial ask, um, society has to do an awful lot if it's to be serious about disabled rights. It's got to make a whole series of, I think in the jargon, reasonable adjustments. So a lot has to happen, even if not with much noise. Yeah, and it's all down to what you define as being reasonable. Um, and for somebody to, uh, who's in a wheelchair, for example, it is completely reasonable that um, a building should be accessible to them. Um, or uh, a bus should stop for them, and uh, uh, and they should be able to get on. Even though that means, um, you know, the uh, lovely old route masters have to go, and we need to get uh, fancier buses in. Powerfully made point, but let's leave um, the wider societal questions there and narrow down on film uh, by going over to um, Samir's conversation with Tom. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, you're listening to the Prospect Podcast, and I'm very pleased to be here with Tom Shakespeare, who's written a wonderful piece for us in the current issue of Prospect about the representation of disabled people on film. Tom, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. Um, in your piece, you describe how there's been a sea change in representation of disabled people in res- recent years. But I wonder what it was like when you were growing up. I think that um, images of disabled people were largely absent. Um, if you analyse all the representations, um, there are sort of three areas or aspects in which we do appear one is this sort of tragic but brave character this sick plucky um, uh, almost certainly going to die often a child Um, you know it's it's the staple of charity representations there's quite a few of those Um, secondly there's this sort of um, evil cripple uh, twisted uh, wanting to take revenge on humanity often the villain in a James Bond film and then thdly there's this uh, what we would call supercrip this uh, triumph over tragedy douglas barder on his false legs um uh, the deaf dumb and blind kid who could play pinball um, ironside now you know these references will leave many of your readers cold but um, 
back in the day, there were these, I suppose you'd call them stereotypes, distortions. Disabled people aren't like that. We're like everybody else. We're not villainous. We're not tragic. We're not even particularly brave. We just get on with life. And do you think those stories were really mainly for people who weren't disabled, using them as sort of examples to project their own sort of fears or fantasies on? I think you're absolutely right, Samir. I think that's exactly what's going on. I think a non-disabled audience, you know, they, you know, feeling sorry and charitable, pity, you know, those make, do make you feel better because, oh, at least I'm not like that poor little kid I saw on the telly last night. Um, the villainous ones, well, you know, they're, they're, oh, there's an underlying fear of disabled people. And in any case, you know, you don't have to do anything because disabled people deserve it. And the plucky fellow, well, you know, he just proves you don't have to worry. They're, you know, they're superhuman, these, uh, these crypts. They'll, they'll, they'll overcome anything. So I do think you're right. They all let the non-disabled audience off the hook. They titillate them a bit. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're often very visible disabilities. They're not the hidden sort. So, you know, the, the, the person who's blind or the, the, the person who uses a wheelchair or whatever. Um, so they are just stereotypes there to manipulate emotion. Um, you appeared yourself um, in a documentary, I think, called A Born to be Small, which is to do with two of your father. Tell us a little bit about that. This was, I think, a more progressive representation. I was, uh, you know, I was just starting school. I must have been about five or six. Um, and uh, Lord Snowden, uh, Anthony Armstrong Jones, made, uh, you know, quite serious documentary where he followed a number of people with restricted growth, of whom my dad was one. And my dad was a GP in Aylesbury in Buckinghamshire and led, led really a, a very normal life. And that's what the film showed. A bunch of people, um, you know, not taking any account of the way others thought of them, but demanding and achieving by the most part a, a normal life. So I think that was progressive. That was about, I think, 1972. Uh, so yeah, I was a baby. I feel well, toddler, a young person. I featured very briefly. There was a scene having tea on the lawn underneath the cherry tree. Uh, you know, it was all faked up, like Telly always is. The odd thing is that I was then in a documentary when I was about 20. Uh, it was on 40 Minutes. It was another human interest, slightly voyeuristic documentary. Um, so there is this abiding interest in restricted growth on the telly. And that's why I prefer doing radio because, you know, you don't get dwarfs on the radio because we don't look so good. You know, it's I don't like to be on something merely because I look odd. And you talk in the piece about how there was a sort of bifurcation in uh, disabled activism so the sort of Lord Snowden style um, that your father was involved in was more um, maybe more establishment friendly but then gradually disabled people became more activist and were trying to sort of change things in a more in a more radical way could you tell us a bit about that change and how it happened well I mean I, I can date it it's the 1970s and um, there had been a campaign with rallies in Trafalgar Square from the Disablement Income Group, and they were trying to campaign for better uh, welfare benefits, particularly for women who hadn't worked. And they thought, well, we'll gather the evidence, the Disability Alliance, people like Professor Peter Townsend, and that will persuade government. But at the same time, there was this grassroots organization starting. One of them was called the Union of the Physically Impaired Against Segregation, UPIAS. And you can hear what it sounds like. It was a, it was a militant Leninist organization. It expelled people. And there's also more sort of touchy-feely groups um, uh, 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 as well. There was Sisters Against Disablement. There were a, a whole panoply of self-organized grassroots groups. And they came together in 1981 and formed 
the British Council of Organizations of Disabled People. And the most important word there is of. These are organizations of, not for. And from that period, the late 70s, early 80s, there was a split between the sort of the charities, if you like, the top-down groups. And it wasn't that they were wrong, but they hadn't quite got the message that really this had to be done by disabled people themselves. And that was nearly 40 years ago. Um, And in terms of films, we still don't see very many um, disabled directors, for example, or we still don't see stories with disabled people in them which aren't about them being disabled. So how far have we really come? Well, there are few. Um, the BBC had an a, a initiative called the Disabled, uh, Disability Programs Unit, and they made some, some nice films for a while. Directors like David Heavey was disabled and, and, and made some progress. But it, it feels like two steps forward, one step back. Um, what we have got are, uh, are people like Liz Carr in Silent Witness. Um, you know, she's not there because she's disabled, so that's really good. R.J. Mitter in uh, Breaking Bad in America. Um, we, we, we had uh, uh, um, um, uh, Marley Matlin in The West Wing. You know, so we are having some disabled characters who are who are there just as people. I mean, normally something is made of their difference, but not much. And that's what we want, because there are loads of great disabled actors, and they are also, in society, disabled solicitors and professors and farmers and doctors and shopkeepers. And yeah, we do pretty much everything. We should be seen in the background. And so, for example, it's really nice to see um, there was a, a, a restricted growth lady, in fact, in um, EastEnders. You know, that's fantastic. Just a market trade, a bit grumpy. Um, yeah, that's what we want. We don't want them there because of their disability. They're just people. There's also, as you bring out in your piece, um, a way in which you know, classic texts can be reimagined when it's a different kind of person playing the roles. So, you know, Matt Fraser playing Richard III. It, it, it does give a different impression to the... Uh, um, usually it's somebody with a bit of a, you know, a non-disabled actor is uh, something on their back to make them look like a hunchback or something. But when they genuinely are disabled, then it, it does change the dynamic, doesn't it? I think it does. I think it's it's great that we're seeing disabled actors just um, you know in 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 these roles. I worry. Lots of people worry very much about what they call cripping up. Yeah, there aren't that many roles for disabled actors. And you can see, oh my goodness, heart sink. Somebody else pretending to be disabled. Now, they would say, well, you know, they just aren't the actors with disabilities. But it's a vicious circle. Of course there aren't, because you never give them these roles. I remember uh, back in the day uh, seeing Lord of the Rings and thinking, oh, great, there's a role for a restricted growth person. They'll be Gimli uh, and in, the, in the Fellowship of the Ring. And sure enough, it was a non-disabled person who'd been magic through CGI to look like a dwarf and it's like but there are loads of great actors and with people like Peter Dinklage coming through in Game of Thrones I mean that's great that that's made him uh, but he's a terrific actor and I'd like to see him do lots of different things some of which will explore disability some of which won't I mean I know Martin McDonough is obsessed with dwarfs so I, I want less of that and more of the ordinary. Um, talking about Hollywood it's, it's interesting um Going back, I mean, Todd Browning's Freaks, 1932, was um, uh, like 
a seminal film, really. Quite an extraordinary And it was banned. Well. And it was, it was felt to be too shocking. Years. Yeah. Well, well, looking back on it now, how can we look at that as a... I mean, I like Freaks. And, and just to give people the, the brief story, it's about a bunch of circus performers who are played by people with disabilities. And there's a sort of Snow White character who comes in and has a romance with one of them. And anyway, it doesn't end well. Not for her, at any rate. Um, and it's a, it's, it was meant to be horrific. I don't think it's horrific. I think it's quite, it's quite touching and, and quite real. Um, so there's been this undercurrent. I mean, Todd Browning is unusual. Um, but there were actors, for example, after the, after the First and Second World Wars who were injured in conflict and came back to roles, you know, uh, people who'd missed arms or who had uh, uh, facial disfigurement. Um, and because the public gets behind a, a war veteran, they were found roles and did interesting things, um, you know, like the detective in the um, Ar Arsenal uh, Stadium mystery um, is, is a disabled actor. Yes, and it's interesting, you talk about um, The Elephant Man, which came in 1981, I see John Hurt, um, again playing a disabled uh, or disfigured person there's a remake but uh, again I think as you mentioned in the piece it's going to be somebody who, who is I'm afraid not so disabled. yeah and again you know, there will be disabled actors who are just holding their heads in, in, in horror because yes they're going to they're going to do a lot of prosthetics and makeup on a non-disabled person and I'm sure he's a good actor I don't have any personal gripe against him but for goodness sake there are disabled actors many of whom have got uh, a facial disfigurement who would be you know delighted to have this opportunity and could do the role um, and then it wouldn't be about people faking disability you know why do you give people an Oscar for faking disability when you could give people an Oscar for acting well in a particular role um, you know regardless of their their disability they may well have more of an understanding of they live with it and they're used to the way people react to them and the way heads turn or the way that they're bullied or teased and and you know it's it's not like method acting but it's like you know it helps i mean you would never uh, put a, a, a white person blacked up anymore that would just be offensive in the extreme but somehow this is okay um you know and it's not done for any dramatic purpose it's just done for laziness yeah and you talk at the end of the piece about um how uh, the specific cultures that de developed around disabled people might be under threat in, in other ways due to sort of technology and that, that that's something we need to be aware of. I mean, I think it's interesting, isn't it? And, and it depends on your perspective. But there are, um, for example, there's a culture of deaf clubs. So deaf folk would meet in the deaf club and they'd know which day of the week it was in their town and they'd all meet and they'd talk to each other. But, and that was the only way you could get to meet other deaf people. But now we have WhatsApp and text and, and, and online um, and websites. And so deaf people don't need the deaf club to meet each other. They can just make a plan using these online uh, uh, messaging apps. And that means they don't go to deaf club. And so deaf club is withering. And so that whole culture um, is now just old folk. It's not young folk. It's lost something. Um, and you could say, well, look, there's more inclusion. Deaf people are more, you know, have more choices. And that's true. But they are losing something too. And similarly, um, you know, day centers. You know, there was a, or, or I've got spinal cord injury. And my mate was in rehab for nine months. And you can imagine the jokes and the camaraderie that built up with this group of mainly guys in rehab for nine months. I was in rehab for nine weeks. And so, you know, we had a few laughs, but there wasn't that camaraderie. Um, and, you know, particularly uh, with uh, the whole culture of Down syndrome. There are many, many actors and performers and, and, and uh, workers and interesting people with Down syndrome. And there might be fewer and fewer of them born. 
not to say that women shouldn't have the right to choose. I completely support women's right to choose. But if the testing and the terminations of pregnancy are, are pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, there will be fewer people. So our diversity will change. I mean, there'll always be disabled people. There'll be old folk, there'll be uh, people who are, are born prematurely. It's not going to go away, but the profile will change. And that's not necessarily an unmixed blessing. And I suppose linking it in with the representations on film, if we see um, on screen disability is always something as an obstacle that needs to be cleared away in some form for, for people to become who they really should be. And that's what drama is. That's what films are about. I mean, show me a film where the central character doesn't have to struggle with an obstacle and get over it and by the end they triumph. I mean, yeah we hope unless it's tragedy but generally speaking they're they overcoming obstacles well disability throws all sorts of obstacles i mean this morning i got a puncture in my tire and i'm you know <laughs> it may be dull but it's funny um and uh everybody faces this all the time that buildings are accessible uh, somebody looks past them the bus doesn't stop um these things are everyday bread and butter for disabled people and yet we come up smiling and so mostly and so I think those are stories. Those are interesting. Um, you meet extraordinary numbers of people. Uh, all sorts of things happen. Every disabled person I know will tell you stories of adventures, many of which are very funny. Um, it complicates things, and that's what you want with a film. You want your trajectory, your, your path, complicated. Tom, thank you very much. Thanks, Samir. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. That's all for this week. Thank you very much for listening to our interview there with Tom Shakespeare. You can read his article in our new issue of Prospect, available on newsstands now. Rebecca Liu is this week's producer. If you enjoyed the Prospect podcast, then please do leave us a rating and a review, which really does help. We'll see you next time, and thanks very much. Goodbye. <laughs>